0: Praise the Lord for this day and for his word. Let us go ahead and turn to our Lord in prayer before we begin our sermon. Blessed Father, we ask you to, as always, Lord, provide for us what we are in need of because we are in and ourselves inadequate, we are weak, but in you we are made strong. We are able to have ears to hear because you open up our ears, Lord. We are able to see because you open Open up our eyes. Lord, it is you, Father, who heals the blind and heals the deaf. In that same way, spiritually, we ask you that you do this uh, to us, Lord. We're going through the book of Romans, which is a wonderful opus, a wonderful work that you gave to the Apostle Paul, Lord. And it contains great doctrines of the faith. I pray that today, Lord, we would be able to again explore this book and be able to get its message, because this message is not mere words of men, but it is the very word of our God. Of the spirit of our God working indeed. And we just ask you to be able to allow us to be able to take these words and take them to heart, that it may not be taken in vain, so that indeed you may continue to do the wonderful work that you're doing with us. But we ask it in your precious and holy name. Amen. Alrighty. So we've been looking at Romans uh, chapter 3. And the title of Today's uh, sermon is, God the Justifier, and as we go through the sermon, we'll see why that is very important, that we understand that it is God who is the Justifier. We're going to begin with reading verses 23 to 26, which is our text, reading as follows. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift So looking at verse 23, we see that it states, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you've been coming to church, that's something that shouldn't be news to you, right? We all know that we have all been inflicted with sin, right? Whether it's because we inherited from our father Adam or because of our own nature, our own hearts, our own desires that have sought these things. And what we're seeing here is basically a continual point that the Apostle Paul is making. Because if you look at even the preceding chapters, that's basically what Paul has been making the case, right? We saw in the first chapter how he talked about how God made man, right? And he gave him the ability to be able to determine, in essence, even through the creation, to see what is good and what is of God. But yet, what do men do? They suppress the knowledge of the truth. And we, we then begin to see how even with the Jews who were given the law, right, who were given the oracles of God, even though they had the law, did it bring them to repentance? Did it bring them to, uh, you know, stop sinning? No. Because once again, it has to do with the nature of who man is. And this is once again what Paul is reiterating here. He is showing us that the righteousness and the glory of God is something that cannot be attained by man. If, if you are to be in heaven, we are to be a people that is a holy people. We are to be a, a people that is clean. If we are not a clean, and we are not a holy people, how can we be in heaven? How can there be people in heaven? The implication of that is that God has to do it. That is the implication. As I was saying in Romans 1, in, in uh, verse 21, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God, or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. In Romans 3, to the Jews, right, with his supposed uh, chosen people, right, says, in Romans uh, 3.1, then what advantage has a Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. And this is making the point that, that I was stating, which is that it's an amazing thing that even though we may have the knowledge of God, it doesn't keep us from continuing in the, in the way of darkness. God has to work in our hearts in order to be able to do that. It is a work of God. Ecclesiastes 7.20 tells us, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. This is quite a statement considering that you have Jews today who think that they can actually fulfill the law. They think that they can actually fulfill the, the law of Moses when here we have Solomon, right, a Jew, basically stating that no man does good, and that there's no man that, that 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 never sins. So this is something that we have to face the reality of, that there is no such thing as men that are good in and of themselves. If there is anything that is of good, it's because it comes from God. That's why we have the example, you know, which, with the... Uh, with the, which, with the rich young man in which uh, when Jesus went up to him and he called him a good teacher, what did Jesus do? Why do you call me good? Because who alone is good? God, right? Now some cults, right? And some people who have a misunderstanding of that think that that was implying that, you know, oh, you see, this is, this, that means that Jesus isn't God. But, on, but did anybody ever accuse Jesus of sin? No, he was sinless. So it's actually doing the opposite. It actually proves to us what? that Jesus Christ is God because he himself is sinless so we see that even the Savior that was given to us by, by God the human being Jesus is divine it's again God working bringing about salvation continuing on in verse 24 we read and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus now here we're getting into the important subject of justification because we know that God is a judge and that one day we're going to stand before the Lord and that all men are going to be judged and men are being called to do the will of God but if he did not do the will of God what is going to happen? we're going to be punished for these things. so who's going to be spared? how can you be spared of the judgment that is to come from God? The only way that you can be spared from the judgment of God is from God himself. So it's an interesting thing because when we think, for instance, of earthly judges, right? Can an earthly judge justify you? Is that the job of a, of a, of a judge here on earth? No. His only job is to judge. But we see the uniqueness that we have in God because God is not only judging sin, because if he is good, if he is of a, a, a holy character, he has to judge sin. He has to deal with sin. But yet, He is the one who himself justifies this. And it says that it is what? It is a gift. And this is very important because in many religions, they think that they're going to be justified by their works. It's not just, you know, we we obviously have uh, differences with Roman Catholicism, but that's not the only religion where we have an issue with. It's the same thing with Islam. Same thing with Buddhism. Zoroastrianism. All these people think that if they do certain things, that they can be okay. With God, and that God will will have them in their favor. But what this text is showing us is that no justification is something that God gives to us as a gift. So there's no one who has any right to boast of anything, or anyone to think of himself more than he is, because at the end of the day, as the beginning of the text says, we're we're sinners. We're all sinners, falling short of the glory of God. I'd like to take a look at Romans 1:16. Uh, it says for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to also the Greek. And the reason why I state this is because see what the apostle Paul is doing here is that in in this particular text in Romans 1, he's speaking about the power of the gospel, right? But what I like is that when you look at verse 24, it actually is giving you the reason and the power of that, which is what? The redemption of Jesus Christ. So that in Romans 3, here, it's actually giving you more, that clarification, that, that the gospel message is very much related to the work that is being done in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Continuing onward, in, in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. Notice again. What what does God have to do? God has to wash us, He has to sanctify us. And that's and that's how we get our justification. It's it's through the Lord, through God that we receive the justification to be able. To stand before him and to be able to say, I'm not guilty. Why? Why are we not guilty even though we committed these sins? Because someone took our sins. And not only did he take our sins, but he established the righteousness of God. Because when he came here upon the earth, he he didn't come merely to be a sacrificial lamb. But he came also to be our second Adam. And in being our second Adam, fulfilling... That righteousness of God which is attributed to us. So that therefore, sadly, his gift is our sin. But we our gift from him is his righteousness. Continuing forward in uh, verse uh, 25. Right here, we're going to get a little bit more really into the essence of an important doctrine. An important doctrine that is, that is uh, uh, taught in the scriptures. And that has to do with the doctrine of propitiation. And propitiation is, has to do with removing wrath. So let me go ahead and read uh, verse 25, which states, Whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. The reason why this is important, brothers and sisters, is because there was a concept in the ancient world. This was something that's not only a Christian doctrine, but this is something that was understood even in ancient times, which is that if you did things that were not pleasing, right, that were wrong or that were not pleasing to the gods, what were you supposed to do? You were supposed to try and gain favor from the gods if you look at some of the uh, Greek mythologies and stuff, you know, they portray that, right, where they, they have this, the human sacrifices, they sometimes, you know, sacrifice a virgin, you know, in order to appease a god. So the idea, the idea is there since the ancient world, the, the, even the pagans understood that god has to be appeased because a god, god will be angry if you are not doing, you know, what what he desires. And so it's the same concept that we have here, brothers and sisters, which is that When Adam and Eve fell, what did they incur? They incurred the wrath of God. And by incurring the wrath of God, what did they become? To God. They became His enemy. You have become His enemy, right? And that's why I'd like to take a look at at, uh, Romans 5.10, which we'll, as as the preaching goes on, we'll, we'll also see. But look what it says there. It says, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. But notice what it says. That we were what? Enemies of God. You know, in today's society, we obviously, and and it's not a bad thing, you know, we put a lot of emphasis on love. Love is an important thing. The scripture teaches us that, that it has preeminence over other things. But at the same time, does that mean that God uh, loves sin? So how, so for those of us who are not, who are under who, or who are unrepentant, if you are unrepentant, you are under the wrath of, the wrath of God. And you know, we're, we like to speak a lot about the grace and the, the love of God, but at the end of the day, you know, God is just, and He is angry with sin, and that's why He has to judge it. And so it's very important that we understand that When we preach the gospel, that we preach it in the proper context. I've heard a lot of people say, Oh, you know, God loves you the way that you are. You know, and I think in some ways I understand that in a sense saying that, you know, you don't have to be someone special, right? You don't have to be a king, stuff like that. But at the end of the day, if you're a sinner, God does not love you the way that you are. God requires you to change. And that's and that's an important an important factor in the message of the gospel, which is that when we speak to sinners we have to make them understand that yes god has love but he doesn't love you as you are you know you can't be self deceived to think that because god has a god has great love that he's going to love you unrepentantly because we have to give god his due Amen. we have to we have to we have to be rectified but see that's where the, where the difficulty comes in because Rectification is not something that we can do. Why? Because we are in and of ourselves being sinners have been tainted. We're no longer clean vessels. That's why you have all those, you know, Old Testament uh, examples, right? About the new the new skins versus, you know, the, old, the new wine skin versus the old wine skin, right? Not eating foods that were clean compared to foods that are unclean. These were things to teach us about our condition. About the fact of the matter is that... We are unclean things. Unless God changes it. Unless God cleans it. We see we see that example actually with Peter, right? When um, when Peter's given the vision of the, the mantle with the different meats, right? And the Lord tell, tells him, Take and eat. What does Peter say? Lord, you know my my lips have never, you know, had anything unclean. And what does the Lord say? Do not call unclean what I have made clean. And if you receive the Lord, guess what brothers? Even though you're a sinner, you have been made clean. Mm-hmm. You're no longer you actually you are no longer a sinner really. So what kind of conduct should we have in light of that? We should be seeking the holiness of God. Mm-hmm. The perseverance, having joy in what is the law of God, not looking at the things of God as a burden but as a joy. Mm-hmm. And seeking to elevate, to emulate our wonderful savior who Jesus Christ, right? Who came not only to save us, but to also show us a way to bring the light. And it's in that light that we are to walk in the Lord. But going back to the issue of the uh, uh, propitiation, I'd like to also read uh, uh, James 4, 4, where it speaks of uh, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And this is in reference to the fact that when it comes to the issue of uh, of what's it called a uh, being a sinner, it has to do with what kind of relationship are you having with sin? <coughs> are you still taking joy in sin? Because if you're taking the joy in sin, then it, what this is showing is that this is you are not a friend of God. You're actually still acting as His enemy. <coughs> Excuse me. But if indeed God has uh, changed your heart. And he has washed the clean. What are you now? As a matter of fact, we're told in other texts that uh, if uh, that if you have faith, like Abraham, you're what a friend of God. So to be someone who is a, a faithful believer in Jesus Christ is to have a friendly relationship with God. But if you're following the way of the world, and that's and that's what you desire, you're not a friend of God. You are not a friend of God. But if anything, you are still an enemy of God. So it's very, very important that even though that's why when we when we fall, brothers and sisters, we want to be able to call upon the Lord and be able to be re- ask for repentance. You know, to be repentant. Why? Because He's the one that can, can do what cleanses, us, sanctifies, us, and ultimately justify us. So, so it's very important that we uh that that, that we understand that. Now, getting back to the uh, the uh, issue of propitiation. I, uh, I think the, there's a commentator that I was actually uh, reading and I think instead of myself just trying to explain to you uh, the issue, I think that what the commentator uh, wrote is much more beneficial. And so I, I want to quote from this section from the commentary, and this is from a, an exegete, you know, someone, an expositor, a commentator by the name of William Hendrickson. And he has a, a New Testament commentary on the book of Romans, in particularly chapter 3, uh, verses... Uh, Uh, 25 and 26. And this is what it says. How did it happen that according to God's plan from eternity, nothing could keep Jesus from shedding his blood as a propitiatory sacrifice? The answer is, this happened in order to prove or demonstrate that God has not been unfair or unjust when in his forbearance he had treated with indulgence, which means he had passed over or overlooked, for the time being, sins committed in earlier days—that is, during the old dispensation—the merits of the cross reach backwards as well as forward. By not allowing the earlier sins to be left forever unpunished, but loading them on Christ, and there is a reference there to Isaiah fifty three six. In Isaiah fifty three six, it says, "And upon him was all the iniquity poured forth of." of I forget the way he puts it, but all all our iniquities are put upon him. Right? So God demonstrated that he was, is, and forever will be just. And since he is just, who can deny that he, he alone has the right to be, and actually is, the justifier of all who repose their trust in Jesus. So the point that this is making is that when Jesus came to this world, when God sent Jesus to this world it wasn't just to deal with you know the sins that were to come right in other words because they did have the sacrificial system right we had the old testament system the sacrificial system in which in if, if you committed a sin you take a sacrifice for your sin you know and, and obviously in, in the time of the Jews they had the temple they would have to go to the priests and and you'd have to have the uh, sacrifices for those particular sins but one of the things that we know and I don't have the quote here, but it is from uh, Hebrews 10:4, is that it states that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So in other words, even though we had that sacrificial system, and people were using that as a, as a sense to keep the relationship with God, right? Because you had to have a good standing with God, it was not removing the sin. This was not removing sins. It was doing a Passover on the sins. And what we're learning is that it is actually through the blood of Jesus Christ specifically that this sin is dealt with. So that's why this quote is very important because it's speaking to the nature of the, the one sacrifice that Christ had. Because it was not only for those saints in the past. It was not only for those saints that were around, right, when Jesus was being sacrificed. But even to us, even to us now. Looking forward, it's his merit that truly does away with sin. And because of his work that he has done, is that the removal of wrath is done away with. That's why it speaks of him being a propitiation. So that this has actually a very broad implication, brothers and sisters. Because many of us think that Christ died for everyone. Right? He came and he died For everyone. But if he died for everyone, was he a propitiation for everyone? No. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Well, the implication is that he can only be a propitiation for those that are of faith. Mm -hmm. If you have faith in Christ, then your sins are covered. Your sin is is done away with. But if you don't have that, you don't have a sacrifice for sin. Mm -hmm. That's why one of the things that we believe in our church is what's called limited atonement. Not because we believe that, that the blood of Christ is not able to save, to save our men. But it has to do with how effective it is. What is the efficacy? What is it effective to? And this, of course, has to do with his, actually his work as a priest. Because we know that Jesus is a, is a prophet, a priest, and a king. And so when it speaks of him being a priest, he is what? He is our representative between God and man right? And there's only what? One mediator between God and man, right? mm -hmm. The man Christ Jesus. And so the only people that Christ can mediate for are those to whom he works as a priest, to, to whom the sacrifice was made for. So it's very important to understand that because that speaks a lot to the nature of the death of Christ. The death of Christ was not to die for everyone because if he would have died for everyone, then who would be going to hell? No one would be going to hell. Right. There's a theologian by the name of uh, John Owen, and he he wrote a commentary and uh, he thought he and he talked about this being that this view that some of the people have would be kind of like the concept that you have in in a court where it's called double double jeopardy. What that means is that, for instance, uh, you get accused of a crime, right? And so the the crime gets paid. But then they turn around and and they uh, again bring up the charges and now you're being uh, charged a second time. That's in essence what would be happening if Christ would have died for everybody, right? Because if the faithful, the faithful receive it, right. But if you, but if you're not faithful, you have to go. You have to go into hell. Well, that would be double jeopardy, because Christ would have already died for your sin. So why would, why would that be? So that's one of the ways that we understand that that sacrifice has to be efficacious to only those that are believers, those that believe in the work of God and that's the important thing that we need to understand when it comes to the work of Christ in the believer that if we are to have certainty of salvation is because of the fact that it is demonstrated through our faith because how is it that we receive the gift of God what is the instrument that God has given the basis of his salvation is is grace right but he uses faith as the instrument By which we receive this thing. So it's those of you who are trusting in the Lord that are going to receive that. And by trusting in the Lord, that means that we're trusting in his worth. And that's a very, very important thing. Because as we said, men are trying to do what? Men think highly of themselves. When you ask most people if they think they're a good person, what will most people say? Most people will say, yeah, I think I'm a pretty good person, you know? I don't. I don't, know if, I don't know if many of you are familiar with Ray Comfort, but I really like his method. You know, he'll ask people, "Do you think you're a good person?" Oh yeah, yeah, I think I'm a good, pretty good person, you know. And then he starts bringing out the Ten Commandments. Like, you ever, you ever stolen anything? You know? Ah, yeah, maybe I stole this, maybe I stole that. You, know? you ever, you ever looked at a at a woman in a lustful way, or you know, or have you ever uh, been rude to your parents? And little by little, he starts saying, you know, then what are you really? Are you a really good person? You just admitted you're a. You're an adulterer, you're a thief. <laughs> you know, so if we begin to examine ourselves, we begin to see that we don't, we don't line up to the standard. But I like what uh, I always enjoy uh, uh, telling the story because uh, there was a pastor uh, by the name of D. James Kennedy. He actually uh, headed a ministry called Coral Ridge Ministries, which is still around. He was a Presbyterian. But he had a conversation with an atheist. And I always remember the atheist said, you know, I don't believe in the Ten Commandments. I don't believe that that's a good standard. I don't think that that's, that that's necessarily the standard that we need to follow. He said, okay. I said, but let me ask you a question. Do you have a standard? Do you, uh, do you have principles that you live by? Said, of course. So you, you do have things that you believe are right or wrong. Okay. Let me ask you this. Have you ever violated? Have you ever done something contrary to what you think is right? And he thought about it for a minute, and he said, uh, yes, I have. So think about it. He says, "So by your own by your own standard, you're in trouble. How much more are you going to be by the standard of God?" <laughs> you know, so it's very important that we understand that when when it comes to just justification, it's God. God is the one who justifies. You want to be saved, brothers and sisters. You want to be spared of your punishment. Amen. Amen. Then trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Trust in Jesus Christ. He's the greatest gift that He can give to us. Imagine being left in and of ourselves. Does God have to save anybody? No. Right? This kind of gets into a little bit into the you know the conversation of uh, Romans nine, you know, of a uh, election. You know, but I what I always like to point out about that particular text is that it makes a very interesting thing. It makes a very interesting point because it speaks, you know, about that God, you know, has he, he creates you know certain 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 individuals for, for glory and uh, and others for for uh, uh, I forget the, the term that it uses but you know but it but it speaks you know is god unjust in doing that you know and of course the the answer is you know is the vessel to tell the Potter you know what he should make no right so in other words God because he is the creator he has the right to do as he pleases right but yet it says it's interesting because it, it, it only says it in one way in the sense that it says but what about if God wanted to show his righteousness and His glory through the, through the vessels, you know, of, of glory. Right? But you see, but the implication of that is also the other side. Which is, when we think of, of the glory of God, we receive the glory of God by what? By His grace. So by saving some of us, right? He's showing His grace, right? So if God was to save everybody, we would understand that God is gracious and that He's loving. But where would be His justice? Where would be his just? But by nice, but not. But by not saving some and condemning some in their in their own sin, right? He's showing that he that he also is is a just God. Why? Because if he was if he was to destroy all of us, he could say, you know what? I'm done with this world, and I'm just going to destroy everybody. He would be in his right to do so. But where would be his goodness and his mercy? Where would he show his love in doing that? You wouldn't see it. So that's why things are as they are. God has a purpose in all things. This is why we must trust in the Lord. It's very easy to get, you know, caught up in our in our thinking and in the way that the world the world thinks, right? But if you look at the way the world wants things, we only want the positive, right? But even I myself can tell you, you know, up here, you know, I wasn't here last week because I was sick, and uh, you know, I was a little confused, you know, why why I got so sick. I was trying to take care of myself, and I ended up in the opposite direction. But in many ways, that in itself was a lesson to me because. It actually teaches me that I myself have to trust in the Lord. I can't be trusting in my own hand. I can't think that because of my own conduct and because of, of the things that I may think I may be wise doing, that that is what is actually keeping me in His good graces. At the end of the day, we have to be trusting in the Lord in all things. And, and that's why it's, that is important. I want to look at the final uh, verse, which is uh, verse 26. It says, He has shown at the present time, at the arrival of his son, his righteousness, by becoming the justifier of those who have faith in Christ Jesus. So here it's basically reiterating what, what, what I've been saying, which is that it is in Christ Jesus that the establishment of, of God's righteousness is done, and that it is God, as I had titled the sermon, who justifies. So I want to look at Isaiah 55, 3-5, because this, I think, is a good example how in the Old Testament you're seeing how even Christ is being spoken of in the Old Testament in this fashion. It says, incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and will make you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader, a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you did not know, a nation that did not know you shall run shall run to you, excuse me, the Hinaum shall run to you, because of the Lord your God, of the Holy One of Israel, he has glorified you. So we see that, that, that work of Christ is very much a work that is of God. And then in Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2, again we have, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So that we see that even, you know, the great David understood that. Where, where does the cleansing come from? Where does, where does the reconciliation come from? It comes from our God. I, now I'm going to leave you with two applications. The first application is, when is it a good time to, to come to the Lord? Brothers and sisters, when is it a good time to come to the Lord? (laughs) Now, right? As Isaiah 55 uh, says, right? uh, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him when he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So if you are in a situation where you are not in a good standing with God? Or you want to reconcile with God? Brothers and sisters, today is that day. Don't let it pass. Let today be the day that you can be reconciled to your Lord. This is how we need to live. Always in in face-to-face relationship with the Lord. And remember that He's compassionate. He's a compassionate God. He will receive you. He's calling. He's given this day and this opportunity so that we may come to Him the second one is during our sanctification remember that God is the one who justified so Romans 6 24 says for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord and so why, why do I, why do I state it this way because of the fact that when we're struggling brothers and sisters when we're wondering sometimes perhaps if we're not in the Lord we have to remember that it's not us it's not going to be us it's not because of who we are and what we do, that we're going to be uh, with our Lord, but because of His work, and that's why we are being called to practice faith, because it's not about what we do, it's about what He's doing. You know? And that's what, and that should be the peace that you should have, brothers and sisters, is that if indeed you have been called by Christ, and you are seeking the Lord, you're practicing faith, and guess what, you're being washed. You're being uh, sanctified, right? And you're justified by whom? By God, the one and only Justifier. And that's what and that's what we got. And that's the takeaway, brothers and sisters, that we need to have a removal of wrath, or we needed to have a removal of wrath, because if you come to Christ, that has been done away with. And the one who justifies can justify you, is the one and only Justifier, which is God. Let us go ahead and uh, turn to our Lord. Blessed Lord, we glorify you as as a justifier because you are the one who reconciles all things, Lord. And Jesus Christ is the one in whom you will indeed rectify all things, Lord. And that all things are being put under his feet. May your name be glorified, Lord, from the east to the west, from the north to the south, Because your holy king, Lord, is enthroned in the heavens, and he is doing his work, Lord, and we await the wonderful return where indeed we seek to see the holy heaven come where righteousness will dwell. At this time, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that your peace would be upon us, knowing that even in struggles and in persecutions, we are not overcome. Because the Spirit of God is within us, and it is you, my Lord, who gets us out of these things and who ultimately saves us. And that it is because of this that we have faith in you. For we ask it in your precious and holy name. Amen.